Life is messy and hard and full of opportunities to learn and grow. I'm Mandy Jenkins of the Kindred and Brave Project. I believe that our humanness makes us kindred and that sharing our stories makes us brave. It's about heart-first, human-centered, story-driven connection. It's about community. And it's about time. Welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. I'm happy to be here today and welcome to our first part of our friendship series. So as I mentioned in the last episode, we will be using some books to help us understand friendships, hopefully how to make and keep our friendships. So the concept of this came from this idea that in midish life, friendships get tricky again. And many of us have our besties that we've known for a while, um, but our lives look a lot different than they did when we first met. So how do we continue to tend to those relationships while also acknowledging that we're meeting a lot of new people and, and being put into a lot of new community settings where being a part of community is great for us and our partners and our children, um, as well as those around us. So to start us off, you could probably hear me smiling. I am using a book written by my favorite author, researcher, storyteller, mentor, uh, Brene Brown. She is the guiding light behind the reason that I do the work I do today. So um, to give you just a little glimpse, I touched on this in the very first episode, but my goal in life was never to become a coach. I was very happy as a teacher. I love teaching. And after some work with a therapist, I learned that I could become certified in Brene's curriculum and her research. And it was that journey that guided me into coaching, which of course, as the universe would have it, has changed my life. And teaching and coaching, in my mind, go together like peanut butter and jelly or macaroni and cheese. And I think I'm a better teacher because of my coaching skills and vice versa. So this book, Braving the Wilderness, I'm starting here because the truth is, in order to show up in our communities and in order to show up in our friendships, we have to show up in and for ourselves first. And I think many of us get that wrong. We are conditioned from a very young age to learn how to fit in. And it starts off innocent enough and left unchecked we grow into adulthood, leaving parts of ourselves behind, hiding our beliefs, not living into our values. And so this book really takes a look at how we need to understand ourselves and do the work on ourselves to be able to be the friends and community members that we want to be, right? So think about when you were little. Um, play this. And it starts, you know, especially in U.S. American culture, it starts before we're even born. Our mothers are given 
cards or clothing or toys when we are still in the womb that reflect what we are supposed to like and play with, be it pink or blue or unicorns or trucks. And then we grow up and we learn what we can and should play with, what we can and should wear. Moving into, you know, grade school and middle school, those awkward years where things in our body are changing and we want nothing more than to have community and friends. And so the fitting in becomes more intense. And our culture has made movies about this. You know, we see Mean Girls. Um, and, and so examine that for a little bit. I want you to think about maybe what this looks like for you. We need to get really clear on what being brave means to us, on who we are, and what matters to us. Not what matters to our best friends, not what matters to the organizations we belong to, but what do we really care about? So in this book, Braving the Wilderness, uh, a lot of her research is really guided from a quote that challenged her from Maya Angelou. And the quote is, you are only free when you realize you belong no place, you belong every place, no place at all. The price is high, the reward is great. And for Brene, this was a challenge because she thought, oh my gosh, I research belonging, I study belonging, belonging is so important, but that's not what this quote is about. This quote is about belonging to ourselves first and having the courage to stand up and in what we believe in before we engage in trying to meld ourselves into what others like or accept, right? So, if we don't acknowledge this, we risk going through our lives fitting in. To begin, I also want to share the definition from the from the book that Brene kind of uses pieces of research and she has this new concept called true belonging. And she defines it as the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. And it only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect, selves to the world. And much like many of the other things that we look for in friendships or that we like to identify in ourselves as being a good friend, for example, like compassion, right? Something I talk to my clients a lot about is learning self-compassion. Generally, this is a very difficult thing, particularly for women, to give to ourselves. We're incredibly hard on ourselves. I would argue that our culture has made it easy for us to be this way. We're supposed to try to do all the things, do them well, not complain about them, so on and so forth. The reality is, though, that we can only be 
as compassionate a neighbor or friend or parent as we are to ourselves. So we can't give out compassion to others that we don't have for ourselves. And Brene says, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. Now, again, Brene is not only an author, but she is also a college professor. And it's probably why I also love her work so much. It melds really well with what I teach in communication classes. And so we talk a lot in my classes about self-worth, self-concept, self-esteem, self-acceptance, and how all of these concepts shape how we feel about ourselves and then in turn, how we communicate with others. So do you see how that happens? Again, we have to start from this inward to outward perspective if we want to cultivate meaningful friendships and community. In an article from Harvard Health, self-acceptance is defined as an individual's acceptance of all of his or her attributes, positive or negative. This includes body acceptance, self-protection from negative criticism, and believing in one's capacities. Now again, a lot of my work as a coach involves asking clients, or even in the classroom, these, these questions come up as well, to think back. Think back to childhood, to young adulthood, to think about some examples of difficult times to help understand where we are now. So I want you to think back to the ways in which you have had these things challenged in your life. The acceptance of your body, criticism, your abilities or the things you could or couldn't do. Um, some of the things that I think come up are trying a new sport. I'm watching this with my son Micah now and it's hard. Oh, it's hard. He's nine and a half. And even though I am a communication instructor, I guess I thought that middle school would be the time when really fighting for self-acceptance became evident. But as a parent, I can see it's happening now. And I'm learning how to straddle the line between stepping in and letting him figure things out on his own um, and navigating all of that through parenthood. So to tell you the story, he plays soccer and he plays lacrosse. Those are the sports that he's been involved in for the longest time. Um, those are the teams that he's been on. And we live in a relatively small and close-knit neighborhood with, I kid you not, about 50 kids. So when he gets out of school every day or on the weekends, he's outside running around and playing. Now, many of the neighborhood kids play hockey. That's their sport. And they don't only play hockey. They're on these like travel teams. They kind of live, breathe, eat, and sleep hockey. So naturally, Micah has learned, you know, how to rollerblade, how to play some street hockey. He enjoys it. And he's come in from playing on some of these days feeling really defeated. 
you know, so-and-so is better than me. They said, I don't know what I'm doing. They said, I don't know the rules. And he gets angry and frustrated with himself. And he doesn't know all the rules. But in those moments, as early as nine years old, he positions. So this is like a sociological term for how we try to fit in. It's called positioning. He tries to act like he knows the rules. He tries to act like he knows what he's doing because it's scary, number one, not to fit in, number two, to be wrong, number three, to not look like you know what you're doing. So he's frustrated and he's angry and those emotions really come out when he walks through the door coming in after playing. So we're working with him on being able to say to his friends, I don't understand this. Can you help me? Can you explain it to me? Can you help me learn how to do this better, right? So voicing this idea of I need help or I I don't understand. So as Brene would say in her work, being a learner and not a knower. This is something that we say in our house a lot. It's so important to us. So can you imagine a time when you were told maybe by your parents or by teachers that you weren't trying hard enough or that your art project wasn't enough or that some version of what you did wasn't blank enough. Most of the students and clients that I have worked with and and taught over the years have a really definitive moment where they worked really hard on something and were met with criticism by a prominent figure in their life. And this sticks with us. And when we say, quote unquote, we have to do the work, this is the work. The work is going back and figuring out where it was we were wounded, where it was we got hurt. And we have to be able to go back and tell that version of ourselves, it's okay that you were sad about this. You are doing the best you can. You're still doing the best you can. And just because this happened to you as a nine-year-old or 18-year-old doesn't mean you're any less of a mother or friend or wife, right? So we see this begin with many boys in relation to sports at a young age. Do their father figures accept them for what they want to play or how well they play? And often we see this with girls at a young age in terms of how they feel about their bodies. Are they skinny enough, pretty enough? And this is shown with positioning in their friend groups. So again, this is the work and I don't I don't think it gets more difficult than this. This is hard stuff, but it's important stuff. So Brene says belonging to ourselves means being called to stand alone, to brave the wilderness of uncertainty, vulnerability, and criticism. I can't think of three things that we are taught to avoid more than these. U.S. American culture thrives on certainty. Vulnerability for many of us wasn't even a word that made it into our household vocabularies. And from Brene's research, in addition to the student conversations and conversations with clients, it is often looked at as a bad word growing up. 
many, many people are taught in their families that being vulnerable equates to some form of weakness. And then criticism. Let's just be real. Nobody likes being criticized. It's tough. So we have to be able to hold these things in order to truly connect with our friends and community. We have to be able to wade into the uncertainty of friendship and community. We have to be able to hold vulnerability as a skill, as we meet new friends, as we navigate old friendships, as they change and we change. And we have to be able to give and receive criticism in a loving and respectful way. What happens throughout our lives is that we are met time after time where we face the pressure of fitting in or conforming. We think it's easier not to have the hard conversations, not to hold the unpopular opinions. We think that this requires less work, but this isn't easier because it strips so much away from ourselves And like this quote from Maya Angelou, ourselves, this is all we really have. So in this book, Brene talks about the four elements of true belonging. These are chapters in the book, and they're as follows. Number one, people are hard to hate close up, move in. Number two, speak truth to bullshit, be civil. Number three, hold hands with strangers. And number four, strong back, soft front, wild heart. We won't get into all of those today, but I've pulled out some thoughts and concepts from each of them that I think we can use to check in with ourselves about where we are so that as we continue to learn about friendship and community, we know where we have work to do. So, Here is something that I try to live by, parent by, and talk about in almost all of my classes. This quote brings me to my knees. In fact, I can get teary right now as I think about what it feels like to read it in front of a group of students. In the book, Brene writes, we're going to need to intentionally be with people who are different from us. We're going to have to sign up, join, and take a seat at the table. We're going to have to learn how to listen, have hard conversations, look for joy, share pain, and be more curious than defensive, all while seeking moments of togetherness. I don't think this is ever easy. And Our U.S. American culture has made this quite difficult, actually. In the book, Brene shares research that compared to the 1970s, now we live in communities with, work with, go to school with, and worship with folks who are just like us. Or so we think. Because remember, many of us, are learning how to conform and have a lifetime of fitting in rather than working on true belonging. But even still, if we're in these communities where we're looking around and thinking that everybody thinks or believes a certain way, it feels really scary 
to challenge that or to be the person that thinks or believes differently. So why is this a problem for making friends and belonging in a community? It means that if we do have a difference of opinion, we are more likely to fall into fitting in rather than belonging to ourselves in order to be accepted. We try not to rock the boat. And again, if all we have are ourselves, then we're giving up who we are to keep other people comfortable. And that's not what friendship is made of. And that's not how communities are built. What I always admire about Brene's work and how she presents things to us, right, is that she gives us these actionable skills or breaks down concepts so that we can learn how to practice them. And she says in this book that one of the first things we need to put in our pockets and carry with us is what she calls braving. So it's an acronym and it's spelled as the word braving is spelled. And what that stands for The B is boundaries, and she defines boundaries as this idea of what's okay and what's not okay. R stands for reliability. This looks like, well, let's put it into friendship or community um, terms. You say that you're going to do something and you follow through. So you do what you say you're going to do. A stands for accountability. And this means that when you screw up, you take accountability, you apologize, you fix it. V stands for vault. This is the idea, and oof, we can get deep on this and we will in our next episodes, that you don't share information that is not yours to share. And I will tell you, especially in middish life, as we're in these new groups, right, your kiddos sports team, we're kind of meeting new people. It's like common enemy intimacy can be really an easy way to connect. So the idea that we both don't like the same person or place or thing. So vault can can be dangerous and it looks like gossip. And she talks about gossip as this idea of like trying to hotwire connection, but it's really important as we are standing true to ourselves, and then, of course, becoming good friends and community members. So vault, not sharing information or experiences that are not ours to share. I stands for integrity, and I love her definition of integrity. This is choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, or easy. And again, when we're looking at being in the wilderness, this idea of belonging to ourselves first, integrity is being able to say to somebody, I really value our friendship and I admire you and I love you very much and I don't agree with you, right? So having that hard conversation. N stands for non-judgment. And this looks like asking for what you need and knowing that you won't be judged. We can talk about our feelings without judgment, right? And G stands for generosity. And it's interesting because some of these she's coupled in other books in this aspect of living big. Generosity is giving the most generous assumption or interpretation to the intentions or words or actions of other people. So essentially believing that other people are doing the best they can with what they have. So these braving skills are 
important for us and we'll bring up different elements of of them as we look into qualities of friendship in the next episodes. So I want to share a story about how this could look even from a child's perspective. So I am not a religious person. Um, I was baptized Lutheran. I went to a Catholic school growing up um, and in fourth grade, I moved to a public school and never we never went to church. My parents put me in a Catholic school during a time when they thought they were giving me, quote unquote, the best education for schools in the area, but they, they themselves were not religious either. My husband <laughs> is a theology teacher uh, at a Catholic school in Chicago. He would tell you that he defines as a Jesuit so just between us as parents, we have kind of a, a very, our beliefs are from one range to the other, right? My son, Micah, about a year ago had this experience that shook us as parents because like many of these experiences in parenthood do, you're just not ready for them. Uh, you can't prepare for them. So. Micah, uh, we talk openly about our beliefs. I tell him that I think that there is somebody bigger than us and a power greater than us. And sometimes I call it God. And sometimes I say God is in the trees or the sky. Andy talks about God as a being and is open to some of the interpretations. But we do talk about God. Um, Andy and Micah pray regularly. And so Micah came in from playing outside one day and he was really upset because one of his friends told him that he didn't believe in God. And so at this point, he's about eight years old and he was upset, he was confused, and he felt like he somehow all of a sudden was not allowed to believe in God. And we asked him why that was said to him. And he said that his friend said, if you believe in gay, you can't believe in God. And in our family, we believe in LGBTQ trans rights. We believe in all of the all of the components that go along with that. And again, living in communities can be tricky when you look at elements like this. So values and beliefs that are really different and influence so many huge aspects of our life. So whether or not you worship or pray or, or go to church versus not. And we told him that, of course you believe in God. And Andy, being a theology major, went in and actually said that nowhere in the Bible does it say that being is wrong. However, that aside, we believe that people can love whoever they want, and we believe that love is love, right? And so we told him moving forward that you can say to your friend, you can believe what you believe, and I can believe what I believe, and you don't get to tell me what my beliefs mean. And he said, can I still be friends with this person? And we asked him that question back. We said, can you? Do you want to still be friends with that person? And he said, yes. And again, I could get teary thinking about this. 
because it just goes to show that he's taking in what we're trying to teach him in that he can still care about somebody and care for somebody and be friends with somebody, even though their beliefs are different from his own. And when somebody has those different beliefs or values, we don't have to separate ourselves from them, but we do have to learn how to stand tall and true in our own integrity. So this book, Braving the Wilderness, was written in 2017. And while there is so much discussion in it about the aftershocks of the 2016 election, I think it could very well have been written today, right? So if we want to be a part of and build community, I think we can start with this idea of people are hard to hate close up. And this looks like asking questions and being curious. I talked about this in the last episode. I live surrounded in a community filled with folks that identify as Christians. I don't identify with any organized religion. And again, Andy teaches theology at a Catholic school, but I does identifies as a Jesuit. So if if we'd have stayed anxious and afraid of having different beliefs or values, that wouldn't have served us because we wouldn't have got to gotten to know anybody, right? And we don't have to and shouldn't buy into the rhetoric that serves as shock value and clickbait. So all that we see on social media and hear on the radio and read in the papers and watch on the TV. Just as I tell my students when we learn about stereotypes, the sentence stem, all blank, are blank, is never true. This is the basis for stereotypes and our media feeds it well. So as you get brave and learn how to belong to yourself and meet people where they are, remember that their roles or beliefs can't be boiled down to a simple sentence stem. So next, on to meeting strangers. Susan Pinker says that in a short evolutional time, we have changed from group living skilled in reading each other's every gestures and intentions to solitary species each one of us preoccupied with our own screen. So what do we do? We need to find courage and use it to embrace vulnerability. As we spoke about in the last episode, this is where the social penetration theory comes in. So Taylor and Altman in the 70s describe how re relationships move from superficial to more intimate through the process of self-disclosure. Now here's where, again, this intertwines with Brene's work. Self-disclosure is vulnerable. And to connect with what vulnerability is, it's purposeful self-disclosure. It is not sharing your darkest secrets upon meeting somebody and trying to make friends with them. So vulnerability, it takes time and it takes trust. In Brene's most recent work, she created new myths about vulnerability. And one of them is kind of this chicken and the egg idea, which comes first, vulnerability or trust. And the truth is they come little by little together. A little bit of trust breeds a little bit of vulnerability. A little bit of vulnerability breeds a little bit of trust. And as we make friends, we learn about how people earn our trust. More on this in the upcoming conversations. We will look into Brene's metaphor of the marble jar. 
So Gabor Mate, a physician and trauma-informed author and speaker, talks about these concepts, and he notes that just as the social penetration theory states, in order to fully understand ourselves and others, we must go just beyond the breadth of conversational topics, right? How many things we talk about or things we discuss and begin diving deep into the depths. So imagine, I hate onions, but it really is the best metaphor here. If you see an onion, I hope that you will forever think about this. Imagine peeling away the layers of the onion. That is what the depth of the self-disclosure and social penetration theory means. And over time, the deeper and deeper we get, this is how our, our relationships grow into friendships, grow even into platonic, loving friendships. Even in, as I mentioned last episode, you know, my, some of my students say that they describe people who are non-blood related. So they're not related to them by blood. They describe them as family. And this happens through depth, peeling back those layers. Reciprocity in friendships is so important. And as the paradox in Brene's work says, vulnerability is the first thing I look for in you and it's the last thing I wanna show you about myself. Or vulnerability looks like courage in you and weakness in me. So it's in our personal work through coaching or therapy that will help us get more comfortable in doing this with others. This is the work that gives us the courage to belong to ourselves first, to challenge fitting in. Inward first, then outward. So there are many ideas that support this idea of doing our own work and breaking our conditioning. One of them you may be familiar with is the oxygen mask metaphor. And this goes back up to what we talked about in the beginning of the episode about compassion. We can't give others what we're not giving to ourselves. Just like they tell us on the airplane, we have to put our own oxygen mask on before we can help the person next to us. So when we look at friendship and community, we need to stand strong in our values and in our braving skills to know that we belong to ourselves before we can be with others. Other metaphors you may have heard of include not being able to pour from an empty cup. We have to get clear on who we are, on what we need, on what we value and what we believe, and tend to that before we can meet others where they are. So lastly, she talks about this notion of strong back, soft front, and wild heart. And I love this so much. She says that strengthening our back is a lifetime effort. And speaking of middish life, holy shit, does your back always hurt? I go to the chiropractor now. <laughs> I'm living my best life as a 41-year-old middish lifer. This is hard because it requires us to let go of what others think. We take the BRAVING acronym and we make it about self-trust. So we turn all of those things inward. Boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault. Are we giving that to ourselves? Can we trust ourselves? 
and in order to do so, we have to let go of what others think. This notion of soft front. So in, in work with clients, we talk about the armor that we use to keep ourselves safe. This looks like perfectionism or foreboding joy or numbing. Brene says, we are living life with an armored heart for two reasons. One, we're not comfortable with emotions, which is why I talk so openly about emotions. And we equate being vulnerable with weakness and or number two, our experiences of trauma have taught us that vulnerability is actually dangerous. Up to what I just said, sometimes in order to get clear on what's happening and how we've been conditioned, we really do have to do the work with a trained professional. I love this question. She writes, are we willing to show up and be seen when we can't control the outcome? Living with a wild heart is putting all of these together into practice. It's being able to hold two things at once. It's being able to stand in our values and set boundaries and make room for joy. It's be, being willing to try new things and to call somebody out. And as you think about all of these things, I wanna challenge you to reflect on whether or not you're intentionally learning about courage and vulnerability and true belonging. Is this something that you're openly practicing with your family, with your friends, with your new or old communities? In the Braving the Wilderness reading guide, one of the other questions that I want to leave you with that I think is so, so powerful, and again, in the upcoming months, I will do a workshop about, about Braving the Wilderness. How do we put these skills really into action? The question is, are you rewarding authenticity in your family? Or are your own fears and pain about not belonging, driving you to teach your kids to quote, fit in. And I will tell you that I have looked at this question since 2017 and I have rumbled and rumbled with it. And sometimes I'm like, hell yeah, for sure I'm doing the work. Other times I'm like, shit, I definitely let my own stuff seep out into how I just parented that moment. But you know what? When we know better, we can do better. So it's a reflection that I want you to think about. As we end this episode, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you're listening. And I love all of your comments. It's been great to hear about what you're taking away from these episodes. And I look forward to diving deeper into the actions of making new friends and joining new communities. I want to remind you to go to my website, kindredandbrave.com. You will see a pop-up to join our mighty network, the Kindred and Brave Project. It is a place online where we can start putting all of these into practice, having the conversations about what's tough, what it's feeling like, and soon we'll be meeting virtually via Zoom. Coming up in March, there's going to be an entire month of free meetings, and I'm so excited to share those details with you. 
And lastly, a card I pulled that I really needed to hear today says, I slow down and listen to the guidance that's available to me. So again, I just thought this was so perfect because the way I interpret this is that I listen to what's within me versus looking for guidance or opinions elsewhere. Thank you for being here. I'll see you next week.